Hello there, and welcome back to The Cinema Review. I'm, of course, your host, Chad Lewis, and I am back with Daria and Miles as we continue the IMDb Top 250 uh, Marathon. Uh, as you know from last week's episode, we are watching all of Lord of the Rings films together as opposed to watching them as they appear on the list. So this week we are covering the second film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers. Might be a two-parter, might not be. We will find out. <laughs> and we go into these episodes completely clueless, and it's like, we're just as surprised as y'all are when we do it's, two-parters. It's, like... it's true. So, you know, will it be a two-parter, or will they not, you know... Ramble on for two Ramble long. on, and, and we can get it done in one part. Who knows? I don't know. Daria doesn't know. Miles doesn't know. You don't know. We'll find out together. It's a mystery. And we always have different <laughs> opinions going in, too. Like, I don't think we'll go over one part whereas the guys think we will so it's always a matter of debate when we start these things too so oh yeah all right we ready yes we're ready so uh let's kick this off with um the the non-spoiler section as per usual uh so just general thoughts on this we've all seen these before so about one two three million times yeah. yeah so i mean Obviously, since we've all seen this a million times, we all love these movies. But, you know, why don't you guys want to just give some general reasons why? Ladies first. <laughs> you suck. Um, <laughs> I think, honestly... I think that's the first time everyone's told me that. You know, Ladies first, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so for me, I mean, obviously, the acting is phenomenal. Um, I like that we get to spend time with different characters a little bit more. Um, it's spread around a bit. Um, now that everyone's kind of separated and going their own ways, we kind of get different interactions from each character. Mm -hmm. uh, the dynamics really get solidified Yes, in this yeah, one. which I really enjoy because, you know, again, people who've read the books go in expecting certain dynamics, and you watch through Fellowship, and you're like, it's not there. So I think, yeah. for especially those who are expecting it, this one really solidifies in those relationships and all the interactions. So I really appreciate that about this film. Um, the acting, again, is phenomenal. Cinematography is phenomenal. Um, they really just hammer home with all of those things. Um, they do a fantastic job um, making sure that you remember why these films are some of the greatest of all time. And I really, yeah. I think that's amazing. And Peter Jackson's direction is incredible, mm -hmm. as always. Yeah, for sure. Well, this movie for me, when I watch it, something I just cannot ignore every single time is how well it flows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have like three separate storylines, three or four. Yeah. And they flow together so well that it mm -hmm. feels like one coherent film, and that's because it is one. Yeah. And the acting really blends well into that. Yeah, because even though you have. The even though the fellowship is broken, quote unquote, you don't feel that way because you're still seeing everyone. And they're separated, not exactly broken. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I think because of that, you start to see, like you were saying, Chad, like the dynamics, but then you really feel as though you're still getting the full story as if they were all together. Yes. Um, and I think that this film really does a fantastic job of that. Yeah, it does a great job of juggling all the different storylines. I was actually thinking that point that you just said, Miles, um, when we were watching through uh, this movie was that with the sheer number of different storylines and characters that they are always cutting to mm -hmm. there are so many ways this should not work mm -hmm. but it does but it does. it does and and sometimes it's because you have these little transition points where someone will mention frodo and then it cuts to frodo or mm -hmm. something like that where it, there, there's there's something in the previous scene that makes your brain go, oh, yeah, it logically makes sense that this would be the next thing I would be seeing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they don't. But sometimes they don't. And even when they, do, even when they don't do that, it, it still, still works. It yeah. still makes sense. Um, one of the other things I think is phenomenal in this film is the VFX, specifically yes. with the Gollum character. Because mm -hmm. that was something I was thinking about when we were watching this was... Holy crap. Yeah. This was made in the late 90s, early 2000s. Gollum looks way too good. Like, he has no business looking this good. Yeah. <laughs> well, he no, does, and that's the best part. Yeah. And 
just everything about the Gollum character. He's such a scene stealer. Because everything from Andy Serkis' performances to this flawless CGI. Mm-hmm. He, in the extended edition scenes that are added back in with Gollum in them, he doesn't look quite as good. Like, you can yeah. tell those scenes were added in later. But, but even those are still those. really good. Right. Um, but, it's just, it, you almost have to be looking for it in the extended edition scenes. If, to, you, if you don't, then you just... If you don't, you're, you probably won't even notice that there's a step down in the quality. It's it's that good still. And the other thing I love too is, you know, they pour so much into the CGI of Gollum. Mm-hmm. And usually when films do that, when they spend so much effort and time and energy on one specific character, the rest of the CGI in the film looks kind of like crap. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get that in these films. It's still consistently yeah. good, even when it's not focused on Gollum. So I appreciate that it's still spread out, but specifically focus on that character so i appreciate mm-hmm. that it's not just him that looks great and everything else kind of looks horrible and like it's from the 90s right yeah and that's just i mean that's representative of the entire filmmaking process for these movies everything is just done so phenomenally and just top-notch filmmaking again um mm-hmm. it's almost easier to talk about what you don't like because everything just like with Fellowship, it's, like, it's almost easier to talk about the things you don't like than to talk about the things you do, just because... But with these sort of films, there's so little that you don't like that yeah, it's almost exactly. just, just as difficult. Well, and again, the only thing I don't really care for with these movies is the handling of certain characters. Um, and this one, specifically, the character of Faramir. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like the way they changed that character at all. Uh, the extended edition softens the blow because they added back in some key scenes that explain his motivation in the movie version. Uh, But in the theatrical in particular, it's just a weird turn. Uh, And even in the extended, compared to where, where, what it is in the book, it's still kind of a weird turn for the character by comparison from, yeah, from, from what the book is. Mm. Um, Because frankly, the character as he's depicted in the movie is the exact opposite of what he is in the book. For no apparent reason than to have an exciting third act for the Frodo Sam storyline, but there's so many ways you could do that without committing character assassination. Yeah. So the that whole thing kind of annoys me a little bit. Uh, but the character of Faramir isn't a bad one necessarily, even in the movie. No, he's not. It's just the way they handle him. I just can, don't. Can you still appreciate the character though? It's hard for me to get over the change in this particular case, partially because of how important this particular character was to Tolkien himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, just as someone who is a writer myself, like I, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of glad Tolkien never got to see these adaptations of of his books, just because I think he would have truly hated what they did to Faramir more so than what they did to any other character so, in this trilogy. Um, and yeah, just as a fellow writer, it just, on on his behalf, it kind of bothers me a, like, a lot. But why did they make those changes in the first place? See, I haven't read the book, so I, I really can't say much. So it, yeah. it, it, it would be easier for me to get into the differences and why it's not that great of a difference when we get into the spoiler section because it would require me to step into spoilers for the movie to explain it. Yeah. So that would be a conversation that would be easier to have in the spoiler discussion. Do you know why they made those changes though? As far as I can tell based on the story structure, it's literally just so that you can have Frodo and Sam involved in an action scene during the third act of the film. But what about in the third film? They they still have those changes. Yes. In the third film, the third film, they kind of try to revert him back to what he is in the book, but they have to maintain certain elements in order to make him consistent with his depiction in Two Towers. Mm -hmm. And so on that level, I don't think he works that great in Return of the King either because you feel this weird tension of them trying to revert him back to book Faramir but also maintain internal consistency within the movie adaptation. And it, it's just kind of weird to me. It's something that you probably wouldn't notice ha- if you haven't read the book. I mean, you, from your reaction, the look on your face right now is telling me that you don't see that well, uh, as trying, much. I'm, I'm trying to understand that. So. Yeah. Well, and I don't, like, I don't 
I don't have as strong of feelings about it as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I don't love how they changed the character. I think there are some inconsistencies within it. I understand to a degree why they made some changes, and it makes for a more cohesive movie story. Mm-hmm. In the book, the way they have Faramir is a little bit easier to portray book-wise than movie-wise, so they're trying to make it more movie-esque. They're trying to make it more interesting as a movie, and I get that. That's I just, the only thing I can think of is Yeah, so from that yeah. I understand... I, I, but I also understand the frustration as well because when they change such a beloved character, it's like, mm, mm-hmm. you irk me. And then to make him the exact opposite of what he is in the book. Yeah. Is, that's that's the part that frustrates me the most. I wouldn't mind like a minor tweak. Like what we were talking about, um, I think we talked about this in last week's episode, how uh, Aragorn's arc is a bit different yes. in the movie versus the book. Like, I, I can I can respect that decision because it, at the end of the day, that's a minor tweak. It's not so fundamentally different with his character. And by the time you get to the end of the of the trilogy, he is Aragorn from the book, you know, and and he's got a natural character progression that gets him there. So that I think works. Faramir is just out of nowhere, just the exact opposite from his character from the book. With, it, it's not a minor tweak. It's like the core of what he is is fundamentally opposite. And that's the part that bothers me. Well, it's, it seems like in the movie they're really trying to emphasize the relationship between Fireman and his father and his brother. Yes. Rather than the characters themselves. Because if they do that, then they really have to spend more time investing into Fireman than they really need to. I could, I could see that. We'll get into details on that in the spoiler discussion because okay. this is starting to get difficult to talk about yeah. without getting into spoilers. So let's table this particular discussion until we get to the so spoiler on a slightly different discussion. Note, similar note, though, I do enjoy, as far as Farmer's character is and a couple other characters, I actually really enjoy um, the extended edition specifically. I love what they did with some of those scenes. They added a lot to it. Like I like that we actually get to hear... Um, Aragorn's age and things like that in mm-hmm. those extended scenes that I oh, think that, are... Oh, that scene is pretty hilarious. Yeah, no, that scene is deeply enjoyable and I, I, yeah, I love that scene. I, yeah. think. I love the chemis- <clears throat> chemistry between Erwin and Aragorn. Their, Miranda Otto and Viggo yes, Mortensen. Their, yeah. Their, 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 their jobs they do. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, they do a fantastic job. It's almost sad that they actually don't get end up getting together. Yes. Eh. It, Almost. Well, you on her behalf, yes. On his behalf, no. no. Yes. Um, because as good as his dynamic is with Miranda Otto's character... It's much better with Otto. With, with Liv, Liv Tyler. Tyler. Yeah. No, with, <laughs> From her perspective, it's almost... With, with Liv Tyler and Viggo Mortensen, there is this sense of they belong together when mm-hmm. you look at the two of them. And when they act yeah. in a scene together, you get the sense that, they, A, they've known each other for a long time, because they have, um, but B, they work and they yes. work very well, and they both love and care about each other deeply. Which actually brings me to a change in the Two Towers movie that I actually quite like, which is the fact that they found a way to incorporate Arwen into the narrative yes. of the Two Towers. Because in the book, she's, she's not, not in it. it. She's in Fellowship of the Ring, and I think she comes back at the end of Return of the King. Yeah. But she's not a part of the Two Towers, and her role in Return of the King, which we'll get to in the, the Return of the King episode... Um, like her role in the movie version of Return of the King, not at all a factor in the book yeah. whatsoever. That was completely so I, added for the film. And I actually really like what they did with the Arwen character. More so in Return of the King, but yeah. I like a lot of what they did well, in, she's not a ton in Two this, Towers. In Two Towers. She's there so we remember who she is. Yes, she's there to remind you of who she is and what's going on with um, her and Aragorn. And also the future. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think for me, the reason why I really thoroughly enjoy both her interactions with Aragorn and the, her, the addition of putting her into Towers is it really gives you a good reminder of his motivation. Mm-hmm. Yes, because the, the flashback scene that he that he has that goes back to, I, I, I suppose it's the events of the first film. Yeah. Um, that is the interaction between him and her. That's actually my favorite interaction between the two of them in the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, that that conversation, because it does so much more for his character motivation than anything we saw in Fellowship with the Ring yeah. uh, um, before. And just her, the way she encourages him, I think, is just so much more powerful Yeah. in that particular scene than it is in Fellowship with the Ring. Like, it's still powerful in Fellowship with the Ring, but then, like, in Two Towers, I managed to 
top that and it's like what the crap (laughs) you know yeah no i i agree i really i enjoy their interactions and i think that it was a really fantastic addition to both remind the audience and give us further motivation for his character and it kind of creates this interesting tension i think with the audience and eowyn's character Mm-hmm. Because you're like Ooh. you, f- you feel for Eowyn's character, but you're also reminded of why he belongs with somebody else. Yeah, so Ooh. it creates a very interesting tension mm-hmm. um, that I observed more this time around than the last time I watched the movie. Um, but it's a very interesting dynamic because you get the sense that they have chemistry, but he's still meant to be with someone else. Yeah, and it's like you know we were kind of poking fun at like in a really comical way kind of relating it back to life experiences with you know her basically telling him he loves she loves him you know days after they've met yeah but i think you know <laughs> the it, amount of laughter that happened after she said that was i know we, we did sad yeah and it's so you feel for her character and you feel for where she's coming from but at the same time i think the way both of the character the both the way both of their lives kind of their arcs go in mm-hmm. Return of the King, I think the audience isn't mad about it. And you're not. Yeah. But in this movie, it's almost frustrating because you're like, okay, but what's going to happen? Because there's nothing for her, but there's nothing. But is there something for him? And there's this interesting mm-hmm. tension that kind of is created. And, and that whole weird dynamic is just a great setup for the payoff that we get for it in Return of the King. Yeah. Because uh, there's so many plot points in Return of the King that would not work without this movie. Like, this movie actually has some good low-key setup for some big moments that happen in the next film, and it does it very well. I agree. So, and the characters they introduce in this film is rather nice. Yes. Yeah, they introduce a lot of great characters. I mean, Theoden, of course. Of course. Well, yes. Great character. Um, Eomer, even though he's horrendously underutilized in the movie version, he, he actually in has... Theatrical. No, in, no, in, in both versions. In he actually has significantly more... Um, page time in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's much more involved in the events of the book than he is in um, the movie. In, in Return of the King, they kind of restore him back to where he was it's in the Return of the King book. It's a book. little frustrating because I adore him. So it's yeah. like, it, it's a little sad that he gets a little less screen time, I think. But yeah, com- compared to what he should have gotten if you were faithfully adapting his storyline from the book, um, he's horribly underutilized but remember- in this one. They have to keep it at a good price. Right. Well, yeah. and, and, I'm, and I'm not as upset about what they did with Aemir in this one as I am with what they did with Faramir. And they did a good job, um, I think, of inter- integrating him and making you understand who he is and his Yeah, his and especially, especially in the extended. In the theatrical, it's way worse. And it's like, because in the theatrical, it's all, what, three scenes? And it's like, yeah. okay, so this is a guy that exists. Whereas with the extended, it smooths over those edges a little bit. Basically what I'm saying is the extended edition is just overall a stronger movie than the theatrical version. Well, because either way, and I think usually the issues that, especially people who read the books, have with these movies is we don't get enough time with these characters. Mm -hmm. So the extendeds, you get some of that time restored. So I think that's Yes, because the extended edition isn't, like each extended edition is about an hour longer than its theatrical cut. And almost none of what's added back in is just more shots of people swinging swords. You have some longer versions of some fight scenes, yeah. But overall, those additional scenes are actually character stuff, uh, which actually I think is why these extended editions go down some of the best director's cuts ever made, because these director's cuts actually add more layers to the film, uh, as opposed to some other extended cuts that are just, oh, here's a new action scene you didn't get to see before, or here's a longer version of this, ex- of this action scene, or here's an alternative take yeah. of, of this, this scene. Uh, that makes you kind of read the scene differently or whatever, which there is some of that in the extended edition of Lord of the Rings as well. Like, there there are a few of, alternative it, takes used in a few places. Most of it deals with characters, though. Right. It, it all deals with character stuff, and it, I think it makes the film a lot more layered. And yeah, I, I think it's one of the best, if not the best, director's cut uh, ever you know, produced. Yeah. No, I like it a lot. It's fantastic. I... I, I I, as much as I love the theatricals, I really think the extendeds are just that much better because mm-hmm. we get to see a lot more from the characters. We get to see the chemistry. We get to see so much of that um, yeah. further delved into, you know, and I think that really makes them... Which is funny because when you watch just the theatricals, if you watch the theatricals first, your reaction to the theatricals is almost like, how can... I don't see how you can make this better. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I actually refused to watch the extendeds for a long time because I was like... These are already perfect. I, I don't know. I feel like adding more stuff to it would just hurt the pacing, hurt the 
Yeah. You know, like just all of it. And then I watch it and it's like, oh, these are actually superior. And now it actually is like every time, because of circumstances, I'm forced to go back and watch the theatricals instead. I'm like, uh, these just kind of pale in comparison. Where's my extended editions? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, you don't necessarily feel like there's something missing when you watch the theatricals. There's just that much. You don't feel like there's something missing until you see the extended editions and then you see what you were missing and you're like, oh, now something's missing when I go back. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. So, overall, great movie. Love these movies. Yeah. Uh, Two Towers is probably my favorite of the three Lord of the Rings films, actually. Uh, Overall. Like, as much as I hate what they did with Faramir in this one, overall, I think I love it the most of the three. I think Return of the King maybe has my favorite moments in the trilogy. Return of the King has some of my favorite scenes, but this movie specifically, I think, is... As a whole movie, yeah. yeah, is my favorite... Some of that does have to do with the Battle of Helm's Deep at the end. Oh, it's an okay, amazing I, battle. I'm sitting there watching the movie last, a couple nights ago when we watched it. I forgot how much happened after the battle. Because yeah. I'm sitting there, I'm like, we must only have like 15 minutes left. And it was an hour left. And I forgot how much yeah. happened after the battle. Because I seriously thought we only had 15 minutes Though there's minutes more character left. stuff to have happen after the battle's over. Yeah, no, I completely forgot. Yeah. No, and that's, that's one of the things I appreciate about the Lord of the Rings films is because they are so character-driven as opposed to action-driven. And anyone who says they're action-driven is just wrong. I've heard people say that. They're wrong. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> these, are, these are so character-driven that they're not like normal, quote-unquote, action movies. Yeah. In the Which, sense that like once the final fight is over, there's not much left to do. And the movie can be over in like five minutes. It's like, no, you have to have like another half hour of stuff. Because the battle's over, yes. But there's still interpersonal character stuff that needs to be resolved after the battle is won. Exactly. Um, or in some cases, lost. But, um, yeah, whoops. Um, I think we're pretty much walking into a spoiler section. Yeah, yes. I think we need to So we'll, we'll, we'll transition over here in a moment. But, uh, yeah, I think we all would recommend this movie. Oh, well, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do, um, favorite scene before we transition. Fav- favorite Unless scene. Unless it is a spoiler and then we'll just um, move on. Let's actually make that the first question in the spoiler section just to be safe. Okay. So, yeah. Transition. <laughs> Transitioning over. With all that said, uh, let's dive into the spoiler section. Uh, so, your question. No. Favorite scene. I think I get to go last. You ask questions and you get to go last. No, no. Someone else go. Yeah, you <laughs> you, do you want me to answer yes, your, your you question? Yes, you go first. Go, go. Okay. Uh, favorite scene. Well, oh man, it says, oh, hey. <laughs> Miles, you go. <laughs> yeah, no, go on, go on. <laughs> you were let to. Um, oh, crap. Um, so my actual favorite scene we can't talk about yet because I promised myself we'd save this for the end because like we like it's the one that we talked about with Sam at the end that we said we could uh, go on about for hours and like if this turns into part only because we're talking about that scene. Yeah. So my actual favorite scene is probably that one. So. Same. Picking a different one so we have something else to talk about until then. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, geez, Louise. Um, Clock's ticking, right? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm killing a lot of time here. Um, let's go with the, uh, the scene where um, Gandalf frees Theoden from uh, Saruman's spell. Uh, just because that, that scene, like, now thinking back on it, that's a scene that every time I watch it consistently puts a smile on my face. Yeah. Um, just everything from the build-up where Gandalf, you know, won't give up his his staff. He's like, oh, you, you, you wouldn't part an old man from his walking stick now, would you? Yeah. And then literally leans on Legolas instead of his staff as he walks <laughs> through the hall. Um, and then uh, Grimm and Wormton flipping out because he sees the staff. Yep. Uh, to uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli just fist fighting everybody in the background as Gandalf just nonchalantly walks up to Theoden. He's like yeah. champions. Like God. like freaking champions. champions. Uh, and then you <laughs> and then you have uh, you know uh, the transition of when uh, Gandalf finally does free uh, Theoden. Actually there's two transitions that are fantastic there. The one where he hits Theoden upside the head with the staff and it like jump cuts to Saruman being thrown backwards in his mm. in his room and well, he's got the, the 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 mark from Gandalf's staff on his forehead. Well he's coming well Saruman was literally it, like possessing. Control, yeah, possessing yeah. controlling Theoden. And you so. really get the sense of that from that uh, jump cut and it, it's just that's really well done. And then 
the the transition from old uh, decomposing Theoden to younger Theoden just before our eyes mm-hmm. is so well done, and then just that culminating with "I know your face, Aon," and then him grasping his sword and remembering his former strength. Mm-hmm. Just the whole the whole thing. It just consistently puts a smile on my face and I adore that whole sequence. Yeah. So it's a lovely sequence. Yeah. And it's a great introduction to Theoden proper because like we've met Theoden before that obviously, but he's really, really. just he, he's a shell of who he's supposed to be in those previous scenes and that's our proper introduction to Theoden and it, it's a low-key entrance, but it's also a very epic entrance. Um, yeah. And, and, and I really love it. So. Oh, I certainly agree with that. It's one of my favorites. I'm really curious. What is your favorite? No, no, you're good to go. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Um, Daria asked the question so she could be the last one to answer <laughs> yeah. the question. Oh, I see. That's why I, I said see. it. Because I, I knew someone else was going to ask the question, but I didn't want to answer first. <laughs> Uh, um, it's either going to be that scene that you're trying to wait for, mm-hmm. or the scene when Gandalf reappears at the at the Battle of Helm's Deep, or at the end, or at the beginning. Well, both honestly, but yeah. when he enters into the movie, mm-hmm. I love that little. They, the attempted misdirect that it's they Saruman, do misdirect, but yeah. you, you yeah. still know who it is. You you know it's Gandalf. So at the moment when he does enter the Battle of Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. Now that sends chills up and down your spine, and if it doesn't, something's wrong. Cause oh yeah, you're definitely not appreciating the movie then. Yeah, yeah. because well, it's not just Gandalf's entrance; it's Theoden's uh, entrance. Right. Yeah, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Theoden King stands alone. Not, not alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's uh, still an entrance, though. And it's, it's a great entrance. It's a really wonderful entrance. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. love what that does. I mean, you have that small line before that, look to my coming mm-hmm. on the dawn of the fifth day. First light of the First light of the fifth day, day yeah. to the east. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you finally remember that, it's like, okay, this is, this is, this, this is good. This is, is it. This is, this is it, boys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's a fantastic scene. Yes. Just, I think, well, and, and, the, and the build to that too with, um, the like. The sun's rising. Yeah, well, I, let's, let's actually talk about the dialogue in, in this scene right before Gandalf. Come, uh, comes into the, that battle because you have Theoden despairing because mm-hmm. Helm's Deep is overrun with the Urukai, Not right? Yet, but, but just about but in his yeah. mind. And, and he's yeah. Aragorn's trying to take control of the situation try to save as many people as he can and Theoden's just freezing up and he looks at Aragorn and says so much death what can men do against such reckless hate? And Aragorn's response is, ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. Mm-hmm. That response gets me choked up every time because it's it, it reigns so true because there are so many points in life where you come across something and you're like, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. It seems hopeless. You want to despair, and especially in times like these where hate is kind of the bread and butter of our society, you know, and that's on all sides of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone hates someone or something and mm-hmm. is very loud about it, and you kind of start to get overwhelmed after a while, and you don't want to have certain conversations with certain people because you just don't know what to do or how to respond or if there's even anything you can do about the issue being talked about it it, it feels like talking about you talking about the issue won't do anything helpful mm-hmm. you know but Aragorn's response to Theoden in that scene courage you know, as an answer to hatred yes it, you stand and face it mm-hmm. you know you don't back down, you don't retreat, you don't give up. If it's right, you stand and fight. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stories like that, it's moments like that that are very encouraging and 
make you want to keep fighting the good fight, you know, because um, that's something that's often very difficult. Uh, and so rarely talked about, mm -hmm. or rarely, dis rarely discussed, because mm -hmm. people, they would rather film the, the actual fight itself, mm -hmm. actually have a story about the fight itself rather than the moment when you choose to stand up. Mm -hmm. and actually face the hatred. Yeah. Well, and, and also, Aragorn's response indicates a not meeting hate with more hate. You know, and that's something that is missed a lot in today's society. You know? Um, the response isn't to, you know, respond with more reckless hate. Yeah. You know, it's to be cool and collected and you know politely chopping down your po po politely chopping heads off the oryx yeah. <laughs> um, as much as you can do that yeah having a having a just a polite and gentle exchange of swords and arrows yeah. the hour when you draw swords together right, so <laughs> yeah. moment mate. yeah yeah um i think you know. we should discuss the relationship of Frodo and Sam to Gollum. Yes. Honestly, also the relationship between Gollum with Smeagol as yeah. well. And that, that's something else well. we should talk about. But let's, yeah, let's talk about Frodo and, and Sam to Gollum. Um, in what specific way are you thinking? Like, is there any particular scene that you have in mind that you were wanting to sort of jumpstart off of? Well, you remember at first, Sam looks on, looks upon Gollum as just a villain, mm -hmm. and Frodo doesn't necessarily disagree, if you notice. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, you know, uh, Sam says, <clears throat> says, oh, he's a villain, and he says, and Frodo replies, well, we need a guide. Mm -hmm. he's, he's useful. Yes, yeah. he's useful, and he, but that, I would say, stems from the pity he has for mm -hmm. Gollum. Yeah, because like, I, as soon as he meets Gollum, like, now that I see him, I do pity him. Exactly. He understands why Bilbo spared Gollum's right. life all right. those years ago. Uh, now, now that he's seen him. He, he mm -hmm. understands that, yes, there are something very evil and corrupted about Gollum, but there's also something very sad mm -hmm. about him, something very miserable. He, he's, he is very much a creature in pain. Well, he understands that because he knows the pain that he went through. Because mm -hmm. He knows he the bears, pain that's going through him right now because, exactly, uh, because of the ring. Yeah. Yes. And uh, actually, that, that point makes me think of uh, a scene a little bit later in the film, which I actually quite like, which is when um, Gal, uh, not Gal, uh, Frodo and Sam are arguing about the ring. Mm -hmm. And um, Frodo makes a comment about wanting to help Gollum. And... Sam asks why, and Frodo says, because I have to believe he can come back. Yeah. Frodo recognizes that as he bears the ring longer, as he gets closer to Mordor, he is becoming more and more like Gollum. And if there's to be any hope of Frodo getting his life back after destroying the ring, he needs to believe that there is a possibility that Gollum can be redeemed as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I think Sam knows that to a degree, but I think that's also why Sam is so against Gollum in so many ways, is because he's fighting against that reality in a lot of ways, because he doesn't want to see his best friend become that. He, he's afraid of the ongoing corruption he's seeing in Frodo, and he doesn't want it to happen. Exactly. So I think part of it is him actually not liking Gollum, but I think a large part of it is him more not liking that reality for his best friend. Mm -hmm. And I think that we see that struggle within both Sam and Frodo as they wrestle with the reality of Gollum. I think there's also an element of Sam doesn't see Gollum as being redeemable. Right. And that's another reason why he pushes back. Because when Frodo makes that direct comparison, Sam tries to counter a little bit. Which mm -hmm. then prompts Frodo to snap at him and be like, what do you know about it? Nothing. You know? Well, Sam sees Gollum just as evil as he sees the Nazgul. 
Right. And he, he, Sam sees the world in very black and white terms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why the fact that he sees Frodo starting to be corrupted by the ring, why that terrifies him so much. Yeah. Because he doesn't see Gollum as redeemable. And yet he sees Frodo going down that same path. And if Gollum can't come back from that in his mind, then neither can his best friend. Yeah. And he hates that. And I think that's part of the reason why Sam and Gollum have so much tension between them. Mm-hmm. Because for Sam, Gollum represents something that his friend is becoming that he, in Sam's mind, is unfathomable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 to a degree, it's this weird tension of the fate of Frodo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's their tension of understanding that and wrestling with that reality. And I, I really love those scenes where they're all together because I think you really see that. And then, obviously, they all culminate to the end, you know? And right. I, we, my, that's probably my favorite scene is the end. You know, like the rest of us, it's my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to the, the point real quick, my favorite scene in the film, other than that, if I was to pick something else, would actually be when... Um, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli come across the orc pyre and think that the hobbits have died. Mm-hmm. I think, I, well, I don't think, I absolutely adore the reaction from all three actors because you really see that even though they didn't get a ton of time with these hobbits, they still love them and view them as their own. And I think that it's a really well done scene and then it, it's really cool seeing Aragorn become super cool and amazing after as he's tracking them and figuring out what's yeah. happening. So we, when, when his ranger skills start to kick in. Exactly. So we see a really interesting and neat kind of transition in that scene, but I love seeing the emotion and the dedication that the fellowship has to each other. And I think that that's, it really is shown in that scene. Um, yeah. So that's probably my second favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Another favorite scene of mine, going back to Gollum for a second, yeah. uh, the scene where... Gollum and Smeagol are talking to each other and Smeagol tells Gollum to leave and never come back. I know. Um, such a good scene. It, it's, it, yeah. It does such a good job of establishing the internal conflict mm-hmm. you know, inside of Gollum and also shows a little bit of hope that he can be redeemed, thereby giving some hope that Frodo can be redeemed as well. Well, and I find it very interesting, the tension that is existent between Smeagol and Gollum. Mm-hmm. Because you look at Smeagol in the next film, in the beginning scene, and you get this sense that there was no control over that desire. There was, mm-hmm. it was unhindered. Whereas now, years and years later, he has some interesting control over Gollum. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, to me, it's fascinating to see that the character has grown to be in more control over time to a degree. You know, he lost control for so long, but then started to gain it back in an interesting way where it now is split in the two different people. And it's a very distinct difference. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very interesting to see from going, going from no control over that desire to being able to rein it in and then eventually tell him to go away and never come back. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I find interesting is that it's implicitly sparked by an act of kindness on Frodo's part. Yeah. Because we don't see any kind of internal conflict within Gollum until Frodo reaches out to him and says, you were not so different from a hobbit once. Mm -hmm. And uses his real name, Smeagol. Which, the look... I love the way Andy Serkis plays that scene because Mm -hmm. the look on his face... He hasn't heard that name in ages. Yeah. In over 500 years. Yeah. And he, like, the, just the way Andy Serkis delivers the, the, the simply saying, my name, mm-hmm. in response to hearing his name for the first time, mm-hmm. is so powerful. Yeah. And I think that is very much what sparks that internal conflict because. Smeagol recognizes this is the first person who understands him and has been kind to him. Yeah. And that sparks a certain loyalty within him that was there, that wasn't there before. It was only, loyalty was only present in him before because he had sworn on the one thing he cared for, which was the ring. Vicious. But 
now he's like, this is the first person that's ever been kind to me, and now I feel an obligation yeah. to this person. Um, and <sighs> Gollum pushes back against that, and everything you see between Gollum and Smeagol from that point onward is Gollum trying to manipulate the situation to reassert control. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it's just, it's so good. I know, I know, it's fantastic. It's so well done, and I really love the way those three actors interact. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way interacts with himself. He's got great chemistry with himself. He does, he has fantastic chemistry with himself. <laughs> he, they should do that more often. They should. Um, no, yeah, he's... He's amazing in that role, and I, I, I find it sad that he wasn't able to be nominated for an Oscar because of the stupid rules. And yeah. I think that that's I think honestly really dumb, mm-hmm. and I think it, they robbed him of an Oscar there. So I'm still a little well, salty about that. They probably knew that he would have won it. Yeah. If he actually was nominated, because yeah. Who else are you gonna? And he who, just, else you, who else is gonna win it? Tonight? Exactly. So yeah, and he did so well, and. His chemistry with all the other actors is phenomenal, and there's mm-hmm. just like this l- level of understanding of Gollum and Smeagol that he carries in it's that role. So well done, and so memorable. Honestly, mm-hmm. you don't ever forget. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I know. Yeah. So looping back a little bit to your points about Faramir. Oh yes, yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about that. Yeah. Not to let you get on a soapbox. <laughs> Not time for a soapbox, but a little bit of. Understanding, at least for Miles, because he hasn't yes. read the books. Not yet. So. Not yet. Not you, yet. you should yeah, do that. You, sh- you, should, you should definitely read the books, because they are I'm fantastic. Work, I'm working He's on in Tolkien, so I think he has yeah, I'm working on the fellowship right now. Oh, good. Um, so, for context in the book, Faramir is meant to be a foil to Boromir. Mm-hmm. In the sense that Boromir is easily corrupted by the ring. Right? Mm-hmm. Faramir is not. So, with regards to Boromir in the book, things play out fairly similar, similarly to the way they do in the movie, where he tries to take the reign from Frodo by force and then repents and all that, all that stuff. It's a little less dramatized. It's a lot, yes, but it, it, it's basically the same plot points. Um, in the book, when Faramir discovers that Frodo has the one reign of power, his immediate reaction is, I would not take this thing mm-hmm. uh, to Gondor. Um, he, I don't remember him immediately sending Frodo on his way, but he doesn't try to take the rain from him. No, there's there, no dancing around. There's no dilly-dallying. It's pretty efficient. Yeah. Like, for like a, a short paragraph, Tolkien like, leaves you in suspense, making you think he might, but then he's immediately like, just... he basically washes his hands of it and says, I don't want anything to do with this thing. I don't want any part of this. I'm going to help you and... Move on. Yeah, and, and send you on your on your merry way. Um, From what I've read, they wanted to make a more consistent factor between the three members of their family, between the two brothers and the father, that all three of them had the thirst for the ring. To yes. a degree. And I understand that from a movie perspective of wanting to reassure the audience that they are all family. So but, but as the, far as that goes, I think it is understandable. The point of the character, like, is in the book, he's very, he very much is related to Boromir and Denethor, but the point of his character is that he's the one member of the family with the, with the strength to yeah. say no to the One Ring, and they remove that element from his character in the movie altogether because Whoa. he he does try to take the ring in the in the movie. Not not that he t- tries to take it from Frodo, but he does try to take the ring to Gondor for selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, the extended edition, when they add back in that flashback scene to that reveals his relationship with his father, it does soften the blow in that it does explain the logic of the character and give him some emotional motivation mm-hmm. for doing so. And I, and I respect the extended edition for putting that back in. I honestly wish that that scene hadn't been removed from the theatrical because I think the reaction to it would have been less strong from a lot of people mm-hmm. um, in the theatrical if that scene was maintained because at least audiences would have understood why like I understand why his character does what he does in the extended but it's just very frustrating to me because the way they because that's the other thing too in the book Faramir doesn't have daddy issues yeah he's he's very much his own man he's very 
Um, he's pulled together at that point. He's not. Yeah, he's he's almost Aragorn esque, actually. He's he's one of the most noble characters next to Aragorn in the yeah. book. Um, and that's they, kind they, of they, they might have been trying to make that distinction between Aragorn and Faramir because maybe because Faramir technically could go to the throne, but I think if I th- that's what they want. So I guess they're trying to do that. Also. They're trying to, I mean, from my perspective, when he's trying to take the ring, they're trying to do that paragraph of suspense of, is he actually going to? Mm-hmm. And of course, readers are like, oh, of course not, and that's eventually what he does. It's only for a short time, it's not like he actually tries to go to his father and say, here's the ring. Yeah, yeah but it's played a little different in the it, book, because in the book it it's like he, it's like his actions could be read one way or the other, and so it's like, wait, what's he about to do? We're not sure. And then he makes a decision. It's not like with this one where he starts to do one thing and then changes his mind to something else. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it's like, a, it's just the way he carries himself up to the point where he makes the decision is ambiguous until he states his decision and then the audience is like, oh, okay, that's what's that's what he that's what he was doing. That Well, he also did need to go to that city to defend it. Even, right. Which, even with the ring or without the ring, he still needed to go there. Right. And also the entrance to where they needed to, where they were off to go was there. Mm-hmm. So, Which, I can't remember, in the book, was there an element of Osgiliath in the book? I can't remember, it's been a while. I don't remember. Uh, again, same, it's been a very long time, so yeah. I'm not sure. It's, it's been a couple years since I read it, so I, my memory of that particular plot point is not so good. Um, but when it comes to the movie, they're trying to move it along words. Yes. He's not exactly trying to take the ring. He still has duties. Well, and, as, and as, a, as a script writer myself, I understand why they did it from the perspective of Frodo and Sam have no action beats in terms of like action set pieces or anything like that in the book. Uh, it's mostly just them walking and meeting people on the way and all this stuff. So I get that you're trying to parallel the journeys of Frodo and Aragorn in a film, and then you get to the third act of your film, and there's a big battle that Aragorn is a part of, but there's nothing that Frodo... So I get wanting to find a reason to thrust him into the middle of a battle, you know, with, with the Osgiliath battle, so that there's kind of more of a parallel there. So as a scripter, I understand that desire, that- and I think that ultimately that's the reason why they have Faramir taking Frodo to Osgiliath, is so that, that can happen. Just so they could be in the middle of the auction. I think so. I, I like I can't because of the way he's handled in Return of the King. It's really difficult for me to see any other reason why they would do that, except for maybe to have that point you were making with that internal consistency with Denethor, Boromir, and Faramir. Yeah. Um, but again, I think I think to do that misses the point of the character because the point of the of in, in the book a major theme is that you have like a major theme is nobility, mm-hmm. and and that you have certain characters that are char- men of honor and characters who are most assuredly not. And so a large point, part of the point of the Faramir character in the book is that he is one of these men of honor that stands apart from his family. He's he's the the uh, the chain breaker, yeah, if you will, and in that's the family. What happens in the movie eventually, though? Yes, but he, it's tainted by the daddy issue. Point. Well, yes, it would be. And that's because that's the thing. He's very secure in who he is in the book. He's not this he, he's, he's not this person who needs his father's approval in the book. Um, which is kind of like he's even in Return of the King he's played that way a little bit. That he's I would I would say from my perspective I would say that it's I can see how you can see it that way. Mm-hmm. And for a long time I did, but when I watch the movies now it seems like he wants it. His father is his only family right now, and his father hates him, or at least that's what he feels. Mm-hmm. He wants him dead, and he doesn't want it that way. He doesn't yeah. need it that way, but he mm-hmm. would like it. He would like to have a family relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, that's that's how I see things. I can I can see it that way, but honestly, I think your distaste with how they how they carry the character of Faramir does play into your view of the issues he has with his father. I think it 
that is helping a little bit with him. I will say though, the acting and casting for Formier was fantastic. Oh it was yeah, perfect. Oh yeah, David Wenham does a great job in both movies that he's in. And I love that he was casted because he looks similar to Sean, Sean Bean, Bean, which I think is fantastic. But no, he. I think even though with the presented issues with Faramir's character, I still think that he elevates the character. And I think that you're still he does a great job of what he's given, a fantastic yeah. character that is very memorable and you still end up liking. So in the end, even though with the issues, I think that there's still... There's still a great character. Yeah. So I don't... To a degree, yes, it can take away from the character, but I think overall, it still creates for a very interesting and engaging story within his arc. Yeah. Um, no, and like I said, I get why they're doing it. It's just... In my mind, but, I don't really see how they could do it better, because they need to. They they really need to emphasize the focus on Aragorn and Frodo. Yeah. And if you add on a third character, really, that creates something at the end where it, it's it's not that much important. Yeah. So they they really need to emphasize something, and that means they have to do a lot of changes that people are not going to like. However, they have to do it well, and I think that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, they, they do it well. I just, I don't know. It just really bothers me that he's just basically the exact opposite character. Mm-hmm. Well, I can understand um, that. And if I, I think when I read the books, I'll eventually have a few years of like, you, Nancy! <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested to see your perspective, if it changes or it's consistent. How could you do this? Yeah. After you It might, honestly. Books. It just might, for a little bit. But I think mm-hmm. then I'll try to... In, appreciate the movie and that's ex- exactly what happened after a short time yeah even though i, I, I do believe for, for a little bit i'll tell him like you get you <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll have that that phase but well and and all the changes they made in these movies overall i'm fine with them uh there's some things they do with the gimli character that really bug me um <laughs> but aside from like uh, again, the, uh, they, they as, can't as, really as, do aside much. from yeah, but as, aside from the Faramir thing, none of the changes they made bother me much. This is the one that's like, this really makes me upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I can understand um, that, but just for me, I I try to enjoy it because yeah. there's yeah. nothing. The, the, I'm not really gonna let one character that's not really major determine how I like this movie. Mm-hmm. If he was more of a major character, then I would definitely like two towers a lot less but since yeah. he's not really that much important I tried to not let that mm-hmm. well and, it's, and even with the, the, ho- the horrendous character assassination of Faramir two towers still comes out on top of my Lord mm. of the Rings movie rankings is it really horrendous though? I feel it is I'll be curious to see how, how, you, how you see it after mm-hmm. you've, you've read the books yeah. um, to see if you agree with that assessment but well, I, I, I feel that I, it is. I probably would say that it is a character assassination, but that but, it is a horrendous <laughs> assassination. I would probably disagree. But yeah, we'll see. Well, well see. the transition to a, a conversation that we've been excited to have, I think, since we watched the film. Let's talk about that la- the last bit with Sam and Frodo. Do we have yes. enough time for that? Because I could go on about that scene by myself for like an hour. But you know, with like, us, but <laughs> yeah, 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 no. So, well, let, let's try to corral it, and I think that we can come up with some really great points, because I think all three of us really adore that scene. Yeah. So, how about I just pull it up? Pull it up and just... Pull it yeah, up just, and just, just read it, just read it yeah. real quick, okay. just to refresh everyone's memory of this. So, to be clear, this is Sam's monologue at the end of the film about the tales that really matter. So, just, just refresh everyone's memory. Miles, if you wouldn't mind just reading would through it real mind. quick. I just need to find the... Yeah. So, after, someone, someone, someone play the uh, Jeopardy theme while we're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, right before this, Frodo is being led, put on the ring, and Sam pull, pulls him away, and then falling down, Frodo has Sam with a sword at his throat, and Sam is saying, well, "It's it's me. Don't you don't you know you're Sam?" And then yeah. Frodo finally recognizes him, and Frodo says, "I." can't do this Sam mm-hmm. and he says I know it's all wrong by rights we shouldn't even be here but we are it's like in the great stories Mr. Frodo the ones that really mattered full of darkness and danger they were and sometimes he didn't want to know the end 
Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine on the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. And Frodo asks, Well, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam pulls him up, sets him on his feet and says, There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> You're right there, Chad. <laughs> uh, I, I, that was... We've got five minutes, go. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I actually cried a little bit the other night when we watched this movie and we got to that scene. <laughs> it, uh. it, it does always choke me up a little bit. Um, between that and then when he tells him to go home, I think those are... In the next movie, yeah. Yeah, those are the two moments between those two characters that I think that always cause me to get very choked up. But this one yeah. specifically, I think there's something to it that makes these characters so understandable. Well, I would Especially say... Especially Sam's. I would say it's a, very much a parallel to our lives. Yeah. And we can very much relate to that. Because when we approach our troubles, we do for a moment, even no matter how terrible they are, we do think, well, it is actually going to be okay. We're not going to have the same problem next year. Mm-hmm. And then we think, well, why would I even want to think about that? And this is, seems just so bloody terrible. Why would I even want to know how it ends because nothing will be the same. Mm-hmm. The, the, the result the of this can't way. be good. Right, exactly. And, and Sam says, in the end it's only a passing. It's only a shadow. Yeah. It's only something that we remember, but it's not quite mm-hmm. prominent. Yeah. And it's the same way, same way in the story. You see Frodo and Sam Gollum having all these troubles in the two towers. And then when you get to Return of the King where they're going into the tunnels and they're fighting the orcs and whatnot, you think, you don't really remember, you don't really remember much of the two towers. It's rather a passing thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's much in parallel to life. How these troubles that we are enduring, mm-hmm. they're very temporary, mm-hmm. even yeah. though they're very, very difficult to deal with. And I think we've, we, Chad, you and I have had a similar conversation about a very t- a topic like this when we talked about Chesterton's The Red Angel. Yes. Um, Which is literally one of my favorite things ever written. Yeah. Um, and in it, Chesterton goes into why fairy tales matter and yes. why we need to have, why children specifically need to have that story where the hero defeats the villain. And I think that Sam's monologue in this is very reflective of that is we're told these stories but why Mm -hmm. and then he goes into we need to be like them and push on Mm -hmm. and there's a reason why these stories are told the way they are there's a reason why we're presented with these certain things and it's so that we can emulate that and push on and have hope Mm -hmm. and i think that well those those heroes give you hope exactly because especially for you know children because like this is why i like his comparison of like talking about the stories that you heard as a child yeah. in it, right? In, in this monologue, you know, it's like, these are the stories that stick with you that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. Mm-hmm. You know, children look up to heroes, whether they're fictional or not, yeah. and those heroes really do give them hope in the middle of a dark time. Like, in, in that essay, The Red Angel, Chesterton uh, tell, says that Fairy tales don't exist to tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that, chil- that dragons exist. Fairy tales exist to tell children that dragons can be slain. Yeah. And th- th- that's one of my favorite quotes from that essay. Mm-hmm. Because the reason those stories mean something to us as, as children and even as adults is because those stories reassured us 
that dragons can be slain. You know, and, and I think that's and, and exactly that's, the point Sam is making here. Yeah, and that's and, and that's exactly why Lord of the Rings resonates overall is because in the defeat of Sauron ultimately at the end of the story you have a whole slew of heroes who stood up to pure evil and defeated it and those characters and their story arcs and those characters being as relatable as they are give us hope that if these people can go through so much and defeat evil incarnate and Sauron then you know I can handle whatever life throws at me exactly you know um, and and that's why I like the last line you know what are we holding on to Sam there is some good in this world Mr. Frodo and it's, and it's worth fighting for yeah you know because you look around at the world around you, as we've said multiple times in, the, in this series, it's a fallen world. There's a lot of evil and just all kinds of horrible stuff. And when bad things happen, it's really difficult to look at that and go, something good can come of this, or that there is even something good in this situation. But at the end or of it. That there's even something that you're holding on to. Yeah. But. You know, we have the promises of, of Scripture mm-hmm. and God's promises to His people, and that gives us hope because it gives us a little nudge of courage. Yeah, yeah. well, and it, it, it that's where the good in this world is, mm-hmm. and that's worth fighting for. And that's why we yeah. have these stories. Yeah, to remind us of the fact that they stood in their place of virtue when they had the chance to either join the forces of evil or to simply stand back and let it have its way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they stood up against it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, it's... There's so much more we could say about this, but we're out of time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think so, that's a good overview of our feelings on it. I think, you yeah, know, that we all love that monologue. We all love the impact it sets with us because I think especially as people who are either storytellers or want to or in some way feel mm-hmm. driven you know, to tell stories. Be. Yeah. I think uh, for the three of us, you know, it's something that we all mm-hmm. are inspired by and yeah. understand that our inspiration comes from areas like that of mm-hmm. wanting to inspire. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think we see that perfectly within Sam's monologue here. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's my motivation as a storyteller. Yeah. Myself. Like, I... Monologues like that make me go, that's why I'm a storyteller and this is what I want to do for people. I want to give people that hope that Sam is talking about, exactly. you know, in, in, in this monologue. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe to make up for how quickly we went over that, maybe uh, I'll put together a script for an editorial, maybe with y'all's help, and just do a special editorial episode Yeah. on this that I can just, you know, put together a script and I can just read it to the microphone and put that as a special editorial episode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thankfully, most of these characters that we see in these, in the two towers, their characters all delve deeper mm-hmm. in the third form. Yeah. So with that discussion, I'm sure that things that are discussed, that could be discussed in here will inevitably mm-hmm. be yes. discussed in that film. Yeah, because yeah. we really see the finale of each of their arcs. Yes. And Especially it really with Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would yeah. failed in just all of them. We really see really. I mean all their arcs <laughs> conclude in the next one. So right. to see that I think are Well some of the stories go on like Well of course, but mm-hmm. specifically. Specifically. As far as film yes. goes. Generally. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so So uh, given um, what the fact that we're all agreed on our favorite scene of the movie, I won't be surprised if we all say the same thing for this one, but uh, MVP for the movie, for this movie. I'm gonna go with Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to say Aragorn or AMA, but I think. I think. Sam, honestly. I'll be yeah. different and say Aragorn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because. 
It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I know it's 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 hard to resist saying that every single movie. Um, for, for me specifically, I think the reason why he wins out over Sam just slightly is Sam motivates Frodo in this film, but for me, Aragorn continues to motivate everyone he's surrounded by. Yeah, it's not just one specific character. It's when everyone has hit their wits end, he always gives them that extra little nudge, and I think that's something fantastic about his character mm-hmm. in this film is that he continues to kind of be that driving force behind the rest of the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go agree with Miles and say Samwise, mm-hmm. um, just just for that final monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the person he in, encourages with that, and just everyone else. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, because I believe you also see Gollum reacting to that. Scene. Even Gollum reacts to it even a little Gollum. bit. Yeah. Well, I should say Smeagol. Smeagol does. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love that. I love that little half second that you see mm-hmm. which is kind of it gives him hope as well yeah. yeah just as a side note though that moment I think is kind of the mm-hmm. movie versions sub in for the the scene in the book where Gollum has a, a shot at redemption and doesn't take it mm. yeah um, do we have time for a fun question sure, sure. it ties into that if so you have Smeagol and you have Gollum Smeagol tells Gollum in this movie to leave what if Gollum never came back? Say, say that again? So, in this movie, mm-hmm. you have Smeagol and you have Gollum. Right. Smeagol, in this movie, tells Gollum to leave and never come back. Right. Gollum does leave. Mm-hmm. But he comes back after Smeagol is, in his mind, betrayed by Frodo. Right. So, say through certain events being changed, Gollum never came back because Smeagol never thought he was betrayed. What would happen? Would he actually be redeemed? Quite possibly, yeah. I, I think so. so. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, although I, I, I'd argue that it's necessary for Frodo's complete journey. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, see the continuation of Gollum. Oh um, yes, but I mean, just just as a fun little yeah. side question, just a little fan theory. Just a little, well, not exactly a fan theory, because mm-hmm. those do that. Okay. Yeah. Those do their, their um, part. They, they, they do their they, thing. They have their part in this entire franchise. But for this, is just something completely yeah. separate. Yeah. I, I, I think it's possible. I think it could have. Um, it's hard to say with any happened. 100% certainty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you never know what Smeagol's reaction would have been to seeing the rain about to be dropped into yeah. Mountain Doom. Um, but with him, that dialogue... By Sam, and by just everything else that could have happened, if Gollum was not present, I think you eventually would have. Yeah, I think there's a good chance, but I'm not sure it's it would be 100. Like, oh yeah. you know, I think it just like anything in life. Yeah, no, I think there's a good chance that he could have been, but it, I'm still not completely convinced though. With everything else that happens in the next film, that mm. there's so many chances for. Yeah. That to not really work. Right. So. But it is fun to think about. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. So, all right. With well, that. Uh, we'll be wrapping up this episode of the Cinema Review. Uh, next week, we'll be covering The Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite possibly, at some point, uh, between now and then, uh, there, there might be an uh, editorial yeah. episode uh, about the, uh, the Sam's monologue from this movie. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, So yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Cinema Review.